0: Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity,
1: talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the
0: campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host,
1: Rick Howick.
0: And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Lauren McCall, who's the Cathedral Music Administrator, And you will know her from her voice more than anything else. Welcome, Lauren.
2: Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here today.
0: And before we get started on our conversation, would you be so kind as to lead us with a word of prayer?
2: Of course. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together today. Bless our conversation, that our words may honor you and enlighten our listeners. Help us to find joy in this time of pandemic and strengthen our faith as we continue to journey together through these difficult days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, for the last several weeks, uh, most people, up until recently, have not been able to get to Mass and have been tuning in to uh, different churches who are offering online masses. And of course, the cathedral here at the Diocese of Orange has had an online mass. It's been broadcast every week. And people who um, tune into that mass would probably hear, they'd recognize your voice better <laughs> if it was intoning the the canting from, Indeed. because Lauren is the cantor for the cathedral, amongst other things that she does. So we wanted to bring you on and talk a little bit about what it's been like to both be the cantor at this brand new cathedral that just opened up and then just shut down and, <laughs> <laughs> and now has been going through all the throes of the last several weeks. So, Lauren, what is it that you do under normal circumstances?
2: So I've, um, which I I've, think
0: lasted all of like two weeks.
2: <laughs> I know well, I've been blessed. I've been a cantor most of my life, more than half of my life. Um, I grew up here in the Diocese of Orange, and I actually grew up at a cathedral. I grew up at Holy Family Cathedral, and Monsignor Art Holquin was oh, the yes. rector there. Uh, Matthew Gray was the music director there, and my elementary school music teacher. Um, so I've been doing this forever. Monsignor Art used to call me his homegrown cantor. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 so over the years, I've spent many, many, many hours standing at, you know, the pulpit, singing my little heart out. These last few weeks have definitely been a different version of that for certain. Under normal circumstances, you know, you would see us at the different masses. We'd have big choirs. Yeah. Um, and it's now really changed my ministry quite a bit because I'm... The main focus, whereas before I was a piece of the puzzle.
0: Well, let me back up for just a moment. Under normal conditions, when when they imagined how the uh, cathedral would work, and in the opening for the first few weeks that it was working, how many people were part of the music program?
2: Well, we have over three hundred people in our choral program.
0: Three hundred people in your choral.
2: Three hundred, indeed. Most parishes
0: can't get twenty, <laughs> so that's pretty good. <laughs> we have English choirs,
2: Spanish choirs, Vietnamese choirs. We have diocesan wow. adult choir. Two diocesan children's choirs. I mean, we just have hundreds of people and families that are here as a part of that music ministry.
0: Very eager to put into practice what Augustine talked about of singing means you're praying, you're praying twice. That's
2: so, how we bribe them.
0: That's very good. <laughs> so when they first imagined how this was all going to work out for the the cathedral here, they put a lot of effort and energy into how the music was going to enhance the sacramental experience, the Absolutely. liturgy. They changed the whole inside with an, with an ear, literally, to how it would sound, didn't they?
2: They did. They changed the acoustics quite a bit in what used to be the Crystal Cathedral building. Um, my only experience in the Crystal Cathedral building previously was in college. We sang Mahler's Eighth Symphony when I was at Chapman University. I was part of that choir of 1,000 people that sang and for as amazing as that performance was, it was literally like singing into a cotton ball.
0: I've heard that. The, yeah. the, the way he designed this was more for the look. He wanted to have, and God bless Robert Schuller, he did some wonderful things and building that building was a good thing. It looked great, and especially when they used to open up the back section there and (laughs) let the light in. It was absolutely stunning for what it would do.
2: Well, and it had an amazing music program. I mean, amazing things happened at that church for many years. It was just a different approach to the way a choir would sound. Instead of having an ambient sound with the acoustics of the building kind of amplifying the voices naturally, they had a lot of things that had to be mic'd. So if you'd have an orchestra, if you'd have a choir, no matter what the size, any soloist, um, you know, even soloists with large, like, operatic vocal instruments, they would still have to be mic'd just because of the layout of the building. But when we as the Catholic Church took it and renovated it, we wanted to make it sound like a cathedral typically sounds with a little bit of natural reverberation, natural acoustic. So they created those quatrefoils which well, have I, been a big part of our renovation. I was going to
0: say, I've been inside a number of cathedrals, and they usually don't sound that good. Uh, several of them have to have speakers and microphones like almost every. I know, for example, in, in Washington, D.C., at the, at the Basilica there, mm-hmm. the acoustics inside can be horrible. And the best place to actually do any kind of singing is down at the Crypt Church. Quite possibly, yeah, absolutely. You've got this very low ceiling and it's all, there's there's no fabric anywhere and it all kind of resonates very well. It's like they designed the top so the bottom would have this beautiful sound (laughs) to it.
2: Well, and every church is a little bit different. I mean, if you think about the cathedrals in Europe, you know, obviously big stone, giant cavernous buildings, a lot of those are designed with um, choral singing in mind and sort of an English cathedral choral type sound is what we've um, been going for here and works well in those buildings. You know, straighter tones, carry and sail across because those buildings were designed to amplify that specific type of sound.
0: I, I was in seminary, but as a Presbyterian, this is before I became <laughs> Catholic, and um, one of the courses that I took was Bach as biblical interpreter. It was I thought it was going to be one of those underwater basket weaving type courses uh-huh. where <laughs> I could and in a way it was. A lot of it was just listening to the Kaplmeister playing the Orgo in this beautiful church. And what I learned from that, amongst many other things, was that the organ had to be made in order to fit the building and have everything arranged so that it all became one instrument. And that's kind of how I understand they put the quadrifoils in, was to make sure they came up with the same type of effect in the cathedral here that the organ and the singing and the acoustics are all designed so that the entire building becomes part of the
2: instrument. That's very true. The um, quatrefoils are definitely, they serve multiple functions. They also help with sound and light and heat and things like that, but the acoustical function is our favorite part of them. And just like you said, it's supposed to help enhance the worship experience by enhancing the sound of the music in the building and one of the things that has been um, happening over the last few months, although halted now because of um, COVID-19, is the revoicing of the Hazel Wright organ, which has um, was very near being finished, and then we had a little hiccup with coronavirus, so we're we're still in the process of finishing well, this, that revoicing. It's not
0: your expertise, I know, but let's talk for a moment about that. That's coming soon. That's an organ that was designed in Europe and had to go back to Europe to be... Pieces of it anyway, We're back here to be refitted and tuned, so to speak, and then now it's in the process of being reinstalled. But in a building that's been significant, significantly changed, so they're fitting everything together so that it all becomes one instrument out of that.
2: Well, they sent the um, they sent many of the pipes the over pipes to be over. refurbished. Yeah. it was essentially just that there had been some damage and some neglect toward the mm-hmm. end of the time that the instrument was here, previous to the Catholic Church buying the property. So they got sent away, they got refurbished, they got brought back, they were put in storage. Everything is reinstalled, and it's now being what's called revoiced, which is what we were talking about with regards to the acoustics because the yeah. building itself has changed so dramatically yes. that it does now need to be refit into that space um, from an oral standpoint.
0: So by the time we're done with this, and I know we started talking about how this was imagined, so I think this is still part of the conversation, because I do want to get back to how it, you've actually worked with that, <laughs> but how the, the idea is that the organ is one with the building and with the people who are singing, who are one with the choir, and they all underscore the whole liturgical experience so that when Jesus Christ is present in the sacraments, it is a glorious moment.
2: Absolutely. That's a big part of our Catholic faith and a big part of our Catholic liturgy. As which was your initial point of mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, being on a live stream and only having, you know, literally a cantor, an organist, a presider, and a couple servers. You know, it's so much more prominent for people now how much a part of the liturgy that music is.
0: Well, we'll come back to to the the cold hard reality of where we've been <laughs> in the last couple weeks in just a moment. I want to get back to just a moment. So when they opened the doors, because I was there for the for the opening oh, and all God. of the oil that went on. <laughs> that was my favorite part. Jim's nodding his head over here. The whole splashing of the oil all over the altar. It was really wonderful. But the music was absolutely stunning. It was very, 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 very well done. Thank you. Um, and that was to a number of hands. There was music that was written specifically for uh, this opening. And the choir was absolutely marvelous. Now... You're in regular or you were in regular masks. What was the difference between preparing for that opening bath versus what you would normally be doing or had been normally doing every week? What was the schedule like for the choir that the choirs that come in? Because you've got a number of different choirs that come in.
2: We do. So, in preparation for the dedication of the cathedral, we worked for probably a little over a year. If we're really talking about start to finish, obviously, as you'd mentioned, we had a lot of music that was commissioned specifically. For this event. So a lot of it is because when you dedicate a church, it's a different right than when you just have a mass. Right. I've kind of told people over the last few years that it's a little bit to me like when you're moving into a house. You don't just go to the sink and wash your hands. When you're moving into a house, you have to find a towel. You have to find the soap. You have to do all these things. Nothing is where it's supposed to be. Nothing is in place, like you're saying, with the oil on the walls and everything. Everything's being used for the first time. You know, they turn the lights on for the first time. They prepare the altar for the first time.
0: They invite the Holy Spirit in for the first time. They do, absolutely. (laughs) Every
2: action that takes place at a dedication mass is something new, and there's a ritual text that goes along with it. And, of course, because at Christ Cathedral we always like to do things the fun way, Um, it was the first time that the new rite for the dedication was being used, so a lot of the texts oh, wow. were different than they would have been for other churches and cathedrals being dedicated. So we did no, commission didn't, I do not know that
0: things. part. That's very interesting. Yeah. So this was all a new rite as well.
2: It was a new rite as so well. we, we didn't were the have anybody you could call to
0: say, hey, Joe, who dedicated a cathedral five years ago or ten years ago, <laughs> can you help us out on this? The answer is no, I can't because it's all new.
2: Well, it was new. I mean, the good thing is it wasn't dissimilar to what had taken place before, but some of the ritual texts that would usually be sung, were different. So it was both an opportunity and a bit of a cross to bear to have those new texts. Because we didn't have pieces that were already written that we could go, oh, we're going to use this one. You know? It was an opportunity for us to give something kind of lasting, you know, to the Catholic Church world in a sense, in that we were the first ones to commission pieces written for these specific texts for this rite.
0: Wow. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Lauren McCall. And Lauren and I are talking about uh, the liturgies at the cathedral here in Orange because Lauren is the cathedral music administrator, which also means that Lauren is the, the cantor for the cathedral. And as part of that, she has not only been deeply involved in the opening of this new cathedral that opened and then very quickly <laughs> afterwards had to essentially close – but she's also been part of the sneak peeks that everyone gets once a week on on the Internet when they're able to tune in to see uh, a mass, especially while we've all been closed down. And the only way to get to mass was to do it virtually. So when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it's been like to suddenly crash land into the world of COVID-19. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Lauren McCall, who is the Cathedral Music Administrator. Welcome back, Lauren.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And we were talking before we took our break about how the cathedral was dedicated and what its intentions were and how 300 people are volunteering, ready to go, and they all line up and they start singing their hearts out the first week, the second week, the third week, the fourth week. (laughs) And then after a few weeks, everything comes to a crashing halt somewhere in March.
2: So we were grateful. We did get a good solid half a year. We got through our first Christmas in the building. We had our first Christmas and Cathedral concert. In the building, and then all the way through Lent, and suddenly COVID-19 arrived. So we did not get what we had planned to be our first amazing Holy Week in the Cathedral Building. It was the Holy Week that I planned over and over and over again with our music staff. We just, every three days, had to completely revamp the plans, cut the number of singers, you know, leave the instruments be. It was a very different Holy Week than we had intended.
0: So let's talk for a moment um, I, I know that as you're trying to put together a weekly broadcast from within the cathedral, there always was, as part of the design, the idea that they would be taping in the cathedral for people who are not able to get out. Yes. But it was meant to be a secondary feature to this. It wasn't that the cathedral itself was meant to be a big studio. Indeed. So what changes took place that affected you because of the, of the accommodations you had to make because of the virus?
2: Well, I would say um, in gratitude, we are very fortunate on the cathedral campus to already have cameras in place. We already had a team of people that do the live stream. So unlike a lot of other parishes who've really just absolutely done their best to, Kind of punt, yeah. With all of this, you they know, get a
0: tripod, they stick it to the. They third They do, pew yeah. And the, 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 the Lots of iPhone videos right. and
2: <laughs> mass from a living room, and, and God a, bless
0: them.
1: <laughs> absolutely no, and,
2: and my heart goes out to them because I know how hard it is to pull that off, and yeah. I know you know, especially in this world of screen time you know, being such a big thing. Everybody's watching things on devices all the time, and there's a lot of, you know, criticism. And there's most a lot of the critics. time,
0: the only person up there is the priest. And as we know lovingly, not all of our priests have the voice to can't. As we say, they can't, can't. <laughs> so we at least, if you're going to turn into the broadcast from the cathedral, we're going to get your voice coming across. So this is where people might recognize your voice. If they're Indeed. Listening yes, I've
2: been cantering for the masses in English and Spanish since everything happened with coronavirus. Ah, so usted we... comprende
0: español, sí? Sí,
2: yo hablo uh, solamente un poco español. Yo
0: necesito muchas más prácticas <laughs> uh, porque yo hablo mucho uh, español, yo comprendo nada. So if you try to talk to me in Spanish, you won't understand it. What are, without going into detail there, um, yeah, she can do both.
2: Yeah, I'm actually, I'm half Mexican. My mom is Mexican. Her family's from Chihuahua. And um, uh, so I, I grew up hearing it a lot in the home, and I speak a little bit. And I'm right. actually learning Spanish. That's one of my coronavirus projects was oh, to try to learn learn the language. I understand much more than I can get full sentences out, but um, but, but I've been you singing, can sing a text. I've been singing at Spanish masses actually as a cantor for almost 20 years. Okay, um, and I obviously know a lot of the texts. Something that's interesting um, because I also run the PowerPoint at one of our Vietnamese masses is if you know the liturgy and you yeah. know the Bible. And you know yeah. the texts, you know, frequently it's, you know, you know what you're singing about. Cause- well, and this
0: is the funny thing about if you go to a mass in a different language, you've never really been involved with before anywhere in the world, yeah. you can usually know exactly where you are in the mass. Absolutely. And you might not understand what the homily was about, but if you're there primarily for the body of Christ and what you can get from the the body of Christ surrounding you as well and the people... The, you're fine. because you can't. Yeah. So let's go back to where we were going with the changes that took place. What did you have to deal with? I, did you have any choir backup at all that was allowed in for the tapings, or were so, you it?
2: So Holy Week and Easter were kind of the days when things were getting sorted out. As we know, the overriding issue with this coronavirus has been that we didn't know. Nobody in the world knew what to do. Everybody was trying to figure things out. As we went, making best efforts to make good decisions, healthful decisions, not overreact, but not underreact. So, literally, we replanned Holy Week probably six or seven times. <laughs> and <laughs> as the days passed, we were cutting oh. the numbers of singers we had because there was some concern about um, singing being an easier way to spread the virus, which is still being sorted out right now. Yeah. But um,
0: well, this whole concern about aerosol and whether or yeah. not how much does does singing project little tiny droplets in the air.
2: Well, and that's all still, I think that's honestly just too soon for people to really know. I think people are trying to make best guesses. We're trying to be safe. So this is one of the changes you're asking about is instead of having choirs, our diocese has chosen to actually just cut down to like a singer and an accompanist. Well,
0: that's kind of where we're going from here. Yeah. I want to know what happened. So how did you end up migrating through Holy Week? So what did we you end up with
2: we ended up with a small group of singers because at that point we were still okay. kind of allowed to do that. So we had um, five to eight singers from Chrism Mass basically through Easter Vigil, and then Easter Sunday is and when they were we were all started. well chosen
0: and well mic'd. I'm sure. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. We just it, it was a big experiment. We kind of were doing our best because we were also on EWTN for a number of those liturgies I that, as well. Yeah. So, you know, and we'd planned to have, you know, brass quintet and timpani and we couldn't have that. So we, it, there were lots and lots of revelations of Holy Week that we went through. Yes. <laughs> and then Easter Sunday started kind of what has been the new norm, which is basically having like a singer and an accompanist at each mass and without people in the building. So it's, it's been a very different time in ministry. As a, as a cantor and as a music minister, just to do the live stream masses. So, again, we were well set up to do it, thanks be to God, at the cathedral. We'd already been doing live streams for over a year, so it was also something we were used to. But even having done that, the thing that changed about this particular phase was that we no longer have people in the building. Yeah. So when you're a music minister and your job is to engage the assembly and encourage Full active and conscious participation. You know, you're looking at faces. You're kind of trying to, to reach people. When there are no people there, yeah. you have to adjust. So
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you this as well. People are bodies and bodies absorb sound. Mm-hmm. Did it affect how you work just the, the music of your voice that you you're trying to deal with an empty building?
2: Well, interestingly, um, usually having people not in the building. Is easier as a singer <laughs> from a vocal standpoint. Well, yeah, because, but because of the quatrefoils and our particular acoustics, it actually is not not that much of a not difference. not much of a difference. Which is one of the beautiful wow. things about the quatrefoils. Okay, um, we actually had an experience. I, um, you know, was grateful. I had a little solo during one of our prelude pieces for the dedication, and we were practicing it at rehearsal time, and then you hear it during the mass, and people recorded it for me both times, just from the pews, you know, to be nice, do me a solid. And both times it sounded pretty much the same. And one time there was no one in the congregation, and the other time there were 2,000 people in the congregation. Uh So, you know, the quatrefoils really did their job. But from the standpoint of just being a cantor in an empty building, musically it was very, very much the same. Just from a ministry standpoint, it changes quite a bit, you know.
0: I'll bet. Well, let me me back up again for people that – they're still broadcasting this um, each yes. week. Yes. So if you're looking at how you were able to adapt the the musical quality, when you're singing to record in an empty building like that, are they capturing your voice at a distance where the quatrefoils are really helpful? Or are they capturing your voice up close like you are right now on the radio with your, with your microphone right here. So <laughs> the residence doesn't matter a whole lot.
2: Exactly. That, uh, that's very much the case. I, I wish and pray and hope every bad, day <laughs> <laughs> that they could get an ambient recording. But no, they're recording from the microphone that is literally two or three inches from my mouth, um, which is not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, I've had to put my pride aside a little bit just from a performance standpoint and just realize that the greater good is that, you know, they're getting something from us. Um, Ideally, yes, you would have the ambient sound be what is broadcast. But, yes, they're pulling it right from a microphone that's an inch away from your mouth. Yeah. Um, so the, the ambience doesn't really impact it in that way. They and get your
0: own resonance. Yeah. But that's, that's Best not efforts.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we do what we can. I would say that the biggest changes with the live stream, with the no people in the building model, were in some ways in actually just the visual the facial, like where I'm looking. Yeah. So I had to kind of remember, you know, when I'm like singing the psalm, proclaiming the psalm, you know, to look straight ahead. Normally, if there are people in the building, I'm, you know, looking around a little bit to just engage people, kind of read sure. your audience, so to speak. But with no one in the building, look straight ahead, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was an interesting change that I kind of figured out as I was preparing for the very first Mass with no people is that without someone saying the people's responses into their microphone, no one at home is going to hear them.
0: That's very true. So
2: Father would say, the Lord be with you. Thanks, God. Because the priest doesn't respond to himself. That's the people's role. Yeah. And with no people in the building, I was the people.
0: So did you then do the response?
2: I did. I okay. did. I made sure to get. Get on my microphone, stay on my microphone. Wow. you know, I might not have been standing right on my microphone for the creed in a normal mass because no one needs to hear me saying it on the microphone, but so
0: Lauren, you represent the entire Orange I do Church. This I great. do I was it
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's and that kind of speaks to the the level of responsibility that I felt that yeah. again was a big change in realization for me was you know i'm part of a much bigger operation here in this parish and just in the the Catholic world. But these moments were definitely moments when I felt the weight of that responsibility of being a minister. You know, when I was receiving the Eucharist and nobody at home was able to, that was a big deal. You know, I felt that... We were all
0: jealous. I I,
2: I know you were. I know. I know. I was able to get volunteers to run PowerPoint by bribing them with the Eucharist. (laughs) Eucharist. (laughs) But, you know, it really did... You know, I never took it lightly, but I definitely took it as a much more weighty responsibility. And I felt...
0: I wonder if you have to go a confession for simony. E. I don't know.
2: I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a thing, you know, it's, uh, and I was very grateful. I knew at that point it was a privilege. Yes.
0: Um, well, and that's that's been one of the things that I would think has probably come through. You talk to people who see what's going on from yeah. time to time. What's the feedback that you're getting on this? Or, I, I take it that they're supportive of what you're doing, but they're also missing what's there, or happening yeah.
2: anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everybody, again, in the world understands we're just sort of in a strange time of life right now. Yeah. And I've been given lots of very grateful feedback. I think people are happy to have the ability to still participate in Mass, even if it's at home. You know, they're grateful to have the music. They're grateful to have, you know, our wonderful priests. I mean, I see all kinds of little comments on the, the Facebook feed at the live stream about, you know, like, Father Christopher's homily this weekend, and you know, people are very families are always good. They are really good. I've known families. No, know, they range. Life, they
0: so. range from from good to great. Sometimes <laughs> they're only good. <laughs> well, and they're
2: and they're truly relatable. You know, yeah. he I think works very hard to be a shepherd of his people in every sense of that title. Yeah. Um. So he really wants people to have a takeaway that directly impacts their daily life. That next day, yeah. they're going to be able to put it into action. Later that afternoon, they're going to encounter someone in relationship that they can put into practice what they heard him say during his homily.
0: One of the nice things about the broadcast as well from the cathedral is that for those of us who are limited to only a spiritual communion during mm-hmm. that time, to have had a beautiful experience of the cantering and to have a beautiful visual of the, the cathedral itself helps still set the mood for a sacramental experience, even if it's only spiritually done and, and yeah. not with an actual reception.
2: Thank
0: you. We are talking with Lauren McCall, who is the Cathedral Music Administrator here at the Diocese of Orange for the Cathedral and is also the cantor at the Cathedral. We have been talking about what it's been like to go through this time with COVID-19. And we've been talking a little bit more about uh, her life, but not a whole lot. When we come back, I want to know how being a Music minister, especially one who is essentially a cheap cantor for the diocese, in a way. How that's impacted your life and your ministry with Christ. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Lauren McCall. And Lauren is the Cathedral Music Administrator for the Diocese of Orange and is the cantor at Christ Cathedral. And we were talking about not only all the, the lead-up to the opening of the cathedral and then how marvelous it had been to have 300 choir members for the different choirs that are involved in the daily masses and the weekend masses and all the masses that take place, but what it was like to go through the shutdown. And it's kind of hard to call a shutdown because the cathedral had a weekly broadcast, and the only music minister for that broadcast was Lauren. And in fact, Lauren was not only the voice of the canting that you heard when you were listening to all that, and still can, but she also was the response of all the people. (laughs) (laughs) Because if there is no response, if the priest says, uh, the, the Lord be with you, yeah, there's no one to say with your spirit if there's no one in the building. So we were talking about that, but we were also talking, in the way you were talking, Lauren, it was unmistakable to hear how the people impact your life, yes. the people that you minister to. And that's where I'd like to kind of go in this section. What has it been like for you to not only be the cantor at the cathedral for the Diocese of Orange, but growing up in this ministry? What has music ministry meant to you
2: well it's really it's really just been my life i at a very young age was fortunate to have wonderful role models and wonderful mentors you know as i mentioned in the first segment monsignor art holquin was our rector and i mean if you want to learn liturgy he's your guy so i had really good instruction and formation Uh, matt gray was again our music director and my elementary school music teacher So I went a long ways back with him. He's a wonderful musician, wonderful person, um, and also an excellent liturgist. And I just really fell in love with the liturgy and liturgical music. And, you know, I was given a gift and people nurtured that gift. That's something else that I try to do here in my role is be a role model for young singers, help train young singers, help inspire them. Um, It's one of actually the best parts of my job, (laughs) if I'm being really honest. We have our um, diocesan children's choir kids who are just so eager to be learning. And, you know, with our music staff here and with Father Christopher and Bishop Van, they have a great opportunity. But I grew up at Holy Family Cathedral and sang in all the choirs there. I sang in the children's choir. So you go back
0: to Bishop McFarland.
2: McFarland. McFarland. Yeah. Yeah, he was my confirming bishop. Very tall, gigantic man. Yeah. (laughs) I remember when they told me he was going to be confirming me and that the bishop slaps you when he confirms you. I had this vision in my head. Turned out to be a little more of a tab. i got to go back and retrieve my head. Where did it go? (laughs) Yeah, Bishop McFarland. Since I went to elementary school there, he used to – he lived over the garage on basically what was our playground. It was the parking lot playground and so I'd be out at recess playing with my friends and you'd see him puttering around with a tennis ball and a golf club during recess. <laughs> so we saw him every day, you know, Um, God rest his soul. I actually sang for his funeral mass yeah. when he passed. Um, I sang for Bishop Brown's installation mass. I sang oh, wow. for Bishop Van's installation mass. I've been very blessed, but I grew up at the cathedral and that sort of gave me, I'm not going to say an edge exactly, but it definitely kind of catapulted me to keep moving forward in music ministry you know i didn't know that every parish didn't have ordinations and things (laughs) (laughs) growing up because that was my experience that that
0: is very interesting because did you go to the school that was attached
2: i went to holy family school
0: so that means that you not only had the the weekends where you had lots of things going on Every time there was a major event going on yeah. in the diocese, we were there. They're going to pull the school kids to yep. have a small choir to come in and, and they help They shut out.
2: down our they shut down our parking lots. We had sure. early dismissal days. Yes. <laughs> but I sang in all the choirs. I sang in the children's choir. I sang in the like contemporary youth choir. I sang in their women's choir. Um, I sang in the adult. Cathedral choir. I sang in the Cathedral Camarada choir. I really just I wanted to be at everything. I mean, I missed school dances because of you know choir performances. We're going
0: to miss the chemistry test. You got to miss the dance too. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I missed. There were definitely lots of decisions that I made that aired in favor of ministering at church with music. So I grew up in a cathedral. Was there for many many years, um, and then you know as I became older, as I graduated college. You know there were other opportunities at other churches. So I learned from oh, Let's
0: let's not go too fast. I want to know a little bit. So you grew up at the school. Where did you go to high school?
2: I went to Orange High School.
0: Okay. So you got through there and still stayed in ministry
2: indeed. on the side. I indeed I did. And I actually only sang in high school choir for about a year and a half because I was so involved with my church choir. Right. I just I really just didn't feel like I needed to be doing high school choir. It was really fun. I did it for Half of my freshman year, mostly because they put me in a physics class and I wanted out. So
1: <laughs> we
2: swapped it for choir. And then my senior year, I thought, you know, I should just try for a choir. It'd be fun to, you know, make sure I did it during school so I didn't regret having missed that opportunity. But yeah, I grew up in Orange, went to Holy Family, went to Orange High School. And went to Chapman University.
0: Well, and this, this raises a question for you because Chapman's not, not inexpensive. So, no, the question for me is, why did you choose to go local when for the same price you could have gone just about anywhere? Mm -hmm. What made you want to stay in Orange?
2: Honestly, it was church music. (laughs) (laughs) I just have always really loved what I do and I had so many connections and. You know, so many like really familial like relationships in music ministry in the Catholic Church. I didn't feel a need to go somewhere else. You know, I didn't want to disrupt my path at that point. Yeah. And Chap- Chapman University has a really wonderful music program, yeah. and their math requirement was only getting through geometry, which was also <laughs> <laughs> a bonus. <laughs>
1: Love but,
0: it.
2: But, you know, I was able to, I lived at home um, my first year and a half.
0: Lived at home, was able to do the liturgy program, and didn't have to do math. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, and
2: I got a lot of scholarships.
0: Except you could count one, so. two, three, four yeah. over and over again for each measure. Got it.
2: Yeah, no, I couldn't have done it without scholarship yeah. by any means. And for that matter, I couldn't have done elementary school at Holy Family without scholarship. Monsignor Art gave gave me a scholarship, and that was a big part of why that happened wow, as well. So I'm fantastic. always grateful for that. But
0: So ministry has been good to you yes. and you have been dedicated to ministry Thank all you. the way through college. Had you ever thought of well, let me say this, you're you're single. Yes. Have you ever thought about going into um vowed ministry? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is a You've never thought about it or you made a decision about
2: it? No, I, you know, I've.
0: If there's an Amy Grant. I have I, decided.
2: I have been approached a couple of times, like literally probably yeah. twice in all these years. Um, You know, it just really isn't something that I feel called to. Yeah, I feel like God. you
0: are or you aren't. Yeah. For, for that kind of a ministry. I
2: do feel like God has, at least at this point in my life, really called me to live single there are so many things that I've been able to do in my ministry that I just would not have been able to do if I had a family to care for in that way. You know, speaking to that, you know, I always thought I was going to have children and because I don't, you know, the children in our children's choir, you know, they really kind of fill Mm -hmm. that void in many ways for me. And I feel like I can be there for them in a different way because I'm single and I don't have kids.
0: Yeah, so. Well, you're going to get emails from several different listening yeah. uh, organizations, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> We're going to try to get you to a habit. But anyway, the answer is no. The answer <laughs> is no,
2: indeed. <laughs> yes, thank you for the offer.
0: <laughs> so, okay, we made it through college and you are still doing it. What got you involved here? How did you become so involved with the, the new cathedral?
2: So I guess my journey, so I was a Holy Family for a number of years, and then I branched out while at Holy Family and then after leaving Holy Family to different parishes. I was at the Mission Basilica for about 16 years. Um, I was at Our Lady Queen of Angels, working both in music and also in youth ministry and um, confirmation. You know, I've just been grateful to have a lot of opportunities. I was also the first music director for Christ Our Savior Cathedral, kind of in the middle of all of this and then worked at Holy Trinity for almost six years as a oh, wow. faith formation coordinator there. Okay. So, oh, wow. Yeah, a little bit of a sidestep for a while.
0: Uh, I'm not so sure it's much of a sidestep. I mean, it's, it's not the same, yeah. but it's very complementary because you're talking about the theology behind what the liturgy is all about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I've always, you know, when you're a musician, people assume that you are a musician first, and that's your main priority. But I would say that I'm a little bit unique in that... I really truly believe that music and ministry are equal parts of what I'm called to do.
0: This diocese is very good about that. I'm familiar with other dioceses around uh, not only Southern California, but around the country. And a lot of uh, them hire great professionals within whatever field they're in, say Catholic education or something Mm -hmm. like that. And often they end up being educators first. And that can be really hard. I know in this diocese, our, our new superintendent her whole dissertation when she was doing her doctorate was on how to inculcate that ministry-first mentality yeah. because this diocese is all about that. This is about the ministry of Jesus Christ, yeah. and I can hear that in you and how it's taken on in you. Thank you. So how do you think that has impacted you here in the ministry? What has hit you most about your ministry here at the, at the cathedral?
2: Well, I I really feel like everything that I've done throughout my lifetime has kind of led me to this particular position. I feel like if God could have come down from on high, created a job for Lauren McCall, Cathedral Music Administrator at Christ Cathedral, is that position.
0: He did. Have you seen the white phone <laughs> on, Bishop, on Bishop's desk? <laughs> yeah. I'm certain yeah. of it. I mean, it really
2: and truly was just, it was a godsend. It was exactly where I felt I was called to be. So I feel like... You know, knowing that I'm called to each position that I have, it really helps drive me to just most excellent work as I can give in each position. At the cathedral, I would say this is the most intense position I've ever had. (laughs) It's a giant campus. It's a giant community. And we've kind of made our music ministry giant as well, you know, with that many singers, with that many language communities, cultural communities, you know, we have a concert series. We have a lot going on. I've never worked harder in my life than I have at this position for certain. But I do feel like God put all of us here in this music team together, you know, to do really great work.
0: I agree. I think that absolutely God has been calling us to to this time. And one of the things that has happened, though, has been that there has been a, a paring back throughout the entire diocese. Because of covid nineteen, just physically people are not allowed to be yeah. able to, to come together, in addition to the reality that with nobody here, the envelopes stay home, yeah. so all the, the donations are down, which means that the people who are left behind are the ones who are do, shouldering so much more of the work than they ever have before. How has that impacted you
2: well in some ways it's in some ways it's been more impactful um because a lot of things that we would normally like for example, I coordinate the music for weddings here. And weddings, as you can imagine, have had a, a, quite a bit of disruption. Sure. You know, some of them are canceling. Some of them are moving. Some of them are keeping it but adjusting around the numbers and the limitations. And you know, I would normally meet with 5 to 15 wedding couples at a time, a couple times a month, have these meetings where you sing and play things. You talk about the liturgy with them. That has all come to a screeching halt. We are now four months behind, so I am making 45-minute appointments with every single individual couple. (laughs) So I wouldn't say that the workload has increased dramatically because there are things that aren't happening on the campus, but adjustments being made.
0: We're talking with Lauren McCall, who is the Cathedral Music Administrator. When we come back, I want to talk to you about where we go from here, especially as we start coming out of uh, shutdown. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And before I go any further, I want to take a moment to thank my guest, Lauren McCall. Thank you so very much for coming in and sharing your life with us.
2: Oh, you're very sweet. It's been my honor and my pleasure.
0: We have had a good time talking about um, all of the ups and downs of what it's been like to go through being in charge of the canting at uh, the cathedral. I used to do a lot of lecturing, but I can't, can't, and I am very <laughs> aware of that. Uh, my daughter can. She actually Aww. has a good voice but uh, and, and, and was trained a little bit in liturgy, so I know just enough of what I cannot do. <laughs> so, it, it's, it, so as a treat, when we get to the end of this, I understand we've been able to arrange to have uh, a piece that you've been putting together for a convention.
2: Yes, actually, as many things have changed this summer, um, a lot of the conventions are going virtual. So a convention that we would typically attend, Catholic Church Musicians, is called the NPM Convention, National Pastoral Musicians. And they have a virtual version that's happening this year. So David Ball, the um, Organist Assistant Director here, and myself put together um, a couple of responsorial psalms that we recorded to be showcased as part of the virtual convention.
0: So – you can set that up in just a moment. My focus, though, before we get to hearing how you sound is number one, to invite people to come hear you live. <laughs> come to the church. The church is open. Yes.
2: Praise <laughs> the Lord. Open now for,
0: for, for a week or two. So the church is open. You can come in on Sunday masses. There are certain requirements and certain changes and yes. certain difficulties that we have to deal with as good Catholic Christians trying to get into the Mass. If someone hasn't been to the cathedral since it's reopened, what would they encounter?
2: So we just got through our first weekend. This past weekend was um, Corpus Christi, a wonderful time to come back. Remember the Eucharist. We are back here at the cathedral. We are at our regular Mass schedule. Right now, I think we're going to adjust as weeks pass and we see what the needs are, but we've gone back to our regular weekend schedule. Okay,
0: so the regular weekend schedule, which they had only just begun getting used
1: to.
2: Yes, Saturday, 4.30 and 6.15, and then Sunday, every hour and 45
1: minutes.
2: (laughs) Um, Masses in English, Spanish, and Vietnamese. And the biggest restriction is the number of people that are able to come into the building. Right. So we currently are at 100 people in the building.
0: But that includes... Everybody, not just the parishioners, right?
2: Yes, I believe it's So it's like place. 90
0: people you're allowed to have it, and we restrict very much everyone else that's able to be there, yeah. So when they come in, they're going to be, I take it, they're not all squeezing into the pews. Are they roped off? Are they taped off? Or so, how are they doing that?
2: So the first question I think to answer for folks is that the way to get into the church is it's a first-come, first-served. There's not an online reservation or a Can't ticket. Tickets, so. Correct. So you just come, you come early and they'll line you up and then once we have the number of people we're allotted in the building, everyone else that's overflow essentially is invited to stay and worship on the plaza. So we have screens, okay. we have sound. Okay. Bring your own beach chair. I bought my dad a Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles camp chair so he can sit out on the Plaza if needed for mass. Um,
0: And a nice hat.
2: And a nice hat and some sunscreen. There you go. Yeah, they're they're even talking about moving the location so that it's not as sunny at different times of the day. And the sun travels, so the equipment might have to travel as well. And
0: And this is going to be different at different parishes throughout because every parish is going to have its own requirements, its own issues, its own individuality. So this is what you're also dealing with here is the fact this plaza is huge. It's wide open. Yes. So you put a lot of people here, but it's also in direct sunlight. So Yeah.
2: Every th- parish is handling things a little bit differently because of the layout of their campus. We're more fortunate than many in having a giant campus, having the live stream already right. set up. So yeah, so the first of people come in and they're escorted to specific areas and seats in between each of the masses. We have a cleaning crew that comes through and does a wonderful job. I thanked mm-hmm. them a thousand times on Sunday. You're supposed to wear a mask. We're asking people to wear masks inside and outside. And we're just kind of feeling our way through it. You know, we want people to feel welcomed. We want them to be happy to be back, but we want them to be safe. So we're trying to balance all of that to make it, you know, as much of a normal worship experience as we can for them. Father Christopher was very concerned with just trying to make it, make it feel welcoming, um, but also taking into account all of what we're dealing with with COVID-19 and being sensitive to all of those concerns as well.
0: Has that changed how much participation the people are able to do, realistically?
2: I would say probably yes. If for no other reason, because a hundred people in the pews is very different than two thousand. Two thousand, yes. (laughs) Especially in such a large building, you know, where, I mean, it looks like a tiny smattering of folks out there. I think people are participating at their own comfort level. Some people are not. They don't want to be breathing out more than necessary. Some people are. They're just happy to be back worshiping. So everyone's kind of making their own decisions. They're far enough apart from each other to where it seems like a safe thing to do.
0: Are they singing?
2: Um, Yes and no. Okay. You know, and again, with a hundred people. They're, allowed to, sing,
0: they're <laughs> allowed to sing with the masks on.
2: Yeah, I think, again, it's just up to people's comfort level. Okay. I think that we're not overly encouraging. Yeah. We're not completely discouraging. We're sort of, you know, again, feeling our way through things.
0: So if you, if people want to come to this, it's a first come, first serve basis. So be prepared that uh, a large number of people are not going to be able to get in if, if you don't get there early. And even if you do, you, you might not be able to get in, yeah, but depends. they can listen to the mass. And the way that the, the bishops have allowed for the mass requirement for Sundays is that the intent in attending any Mass, virtual or otherwise, still counts. Yeah. We're still in that, in that crossover hybrid type where you could go to physical Mass to have and receive Eucharist, or you can go to a virtual Mass, or in this case, you could sit outside and enjoy the, the live Mass, but outside the building.
2: Yes, we still have a dispensation from the um, obligation to attend a Sunday Mass. Um, we also have been given the option to celebrate Mass outdoors instead of confined to a worship space. And those are both kind of limited time offers, so to speak. But, yes, people can still stay home. Um, The act of spiritual communion prayer is on all of our live streams um, so that people can feel confident in receiving the grace from, you know, participating in that way.
0: If people are outside, are are they allowed to have Eucharist? Yes. So if you actually make it to the Mass and you set up your chair, you could receive Eucharist if you're outside, if you're stuck outside, but you are you make it all the way through.
2: Yeah, you basically you can see and hear everything. We have screens outside so you can watch the Mass, you can hear through the speakers, and they'll send Eucharistic ministers out to the plaza at communion time and you will receive the Eucharist. So you are essentially at Mass, just not in the building.
0: Wow. Lauren, I want to thank you so very much for coming in. We're not going just yet because uh, you've, been able to make available to us a recording that you mentioned is going to be at the NPM
2: The NPM convention, okay. yes, the National Pastoral Musicians, and it's going to be part of a workshop for one of our publishing companies to showcase some of their new music. Normally they would be there in person okay. to do that. Now it's being done virtually. So it's going to be a setting of Psalm 19 that was written for the dedication, one of the pieces we commissioned by James Chaponis uh, It's a beautiful setting. It has... Lots of different verses, lots of melodic interest. So the three verses we sing are each a little bit different. But you'll get a wonderful chance to hear the building itself, David Ball is the organist, and myself singing um one of my favorite roles as a psalmist.
0: before we get to that, would you please lead us all in a brief word of prayer?
2: Of course, I actually wanted to share my favorite prayer. This is a prayer that I say frequently and seems specifically more important these days. Those are difficult times. It's called Radiating Christ, or some people call it the Fragrance Prayer, um, by Blessed John Henry Newman, also a favorite of Mother Teresa's. Dear Jesus, help me to spread your fragrance wherever I go. Flood my soul with your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess my whole being so utterly that my life may only be a radiance of yours. SHINE THROUGH ME, AND BE SO IN ME, THAT EVERY SOUL I COME IN CONTACT WITH MAY FEEL YOUR PRESENCE IN MY SOUL. LET THEM LOOK UP AND SEE NO LONGER ME, BUT ONLY JESUS. STAY WITH ME, AND THEN I SHALL BEGIN TO SHINE AS YOU SHINE, SO TO SHINE as TO BE A LIGHT TO OTHERS. THE LIGHT, O oh JESUS, WILL BE ALL FROM YOU. NONE OF IT WILL BE MINE. IT WILL BE YOU, SHINING ON OTHERS THROUGH ME. LET ME THUS PRAISE YOU THE WAY YOU LOVE BEST. By shining on those around me, let me preach you without preaching, not by words, but by my example, by the catching force of the sympathetic influence of what I do, the evident fullness of the love my heart bears to you. Amen.
0: Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Lauren McCall, who is the Cathedral Music Administrator for the Diocese of Orange and the Cantor for Christ Cathedral. And if you would like to make this available to someone else or if you'd like to listen to it again, you can go to our podcast at OCCatholic.com under the radio tab and you can hear it again. Because what's going to come up now is Lauren, who is at the cathedral and is letting us hear a song.